When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today is Sunday, August 5th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, and episode 274, featuring Celtics radio analyst Cedric Maxwell, is brought to you by Hymns. My listeners get a special trial month of Hymns for just $5 by going to 4 slash Celtics. What's up? Welcome into Celtics Beat. Adam Kaufman here with you. You can get me on Twitter at Adam M. Kaufman. It's been a quiet little period here, believe it or not, for the Seas, which is actually kind of nice. Allows us to sit back, catch our breath, and dissect the real issues that are coming up with training camp and preseason play, and of course, eventually the regular season all rapidly approaching. We're already in August. That means next month we're starting to get into the thick of this stuff. So I'm really looking forward to that. And who better to help us along with that? I'm going to dive right in. Cedric Maxwell, radio analyst for the Celtics, former NBA Finals MVP, just a legend in every sense of the word, and always one of my favorite guests. Max, how are you? I am doing just great, sir. Just great. Wonderful summer. How's the offseason treating you? You do anything fun? Um, I took a couple of trips. Uh, I went to, um, I was in Cabo a little bit. I've done a, a whole string of things going back and forth to you know, North Carolina, where, you know, I was born. Mm-hmm. And so just seeing family and friends. All right, well, let's talk a little bit about this team, maybe a whole lot about this team. And a basic question, but it's kind of a dangerous question because we remember the Celtics traded for Kyrie Irving in August last summer. Mm-hmm. Is Danny Ainge done dealing? Is this the group we're going to see opening night? I can't imagine that anything else is going to happen. I don't see anybody who's going to change anything. You keep hearing the rumors about Kyrie Irving. Uh, possibility that he is going to leave or he wants to opt out of his contract and won't be with you. I, I don't think you worry about that. I think what you do is if you have an excellent year, and you should if, you, if everybody's healthy this year, knock on wood, um, you you play and you and you have the best team out there. And if Kyrie Irving wants to leave, then, then he leaves. But uh, I think that you go into this year with the idea to see how far you can really advance. There's a bunch of Kyrie stuff. I'm going to do it a little bit later. I want to build up to that with okay. some of these kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better term, our re-entry to what this Celtics team is. The C's, as we know, they re-signed Marcus Smart, which was huge. They re-signed Aaron Baines, big as well, I think underrated in a lot of different mm-hmm. ways. They drafted Robert Williams. They bring in Brad Wanamaker to effectively replace Shane Larkin. Was this, by your account, a successful offseason? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh... You're bringing Marcus back, 
was 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 the key to what you were doing defensively. And then, you know, you bring Baines back. I thought Baines might have been one of those guys who played well enough to play himself out of here by getting a better contract from somebody else. But he decided to come back. Something's having him under good money, and uh, it's a good situation. He played well last year. He established that he was a, a dominant player in the paint. He started knocking down some threes from the outside. Baines was very, very effective. We've talked about this in the past a little bit. You occasionally you like to go out to dinner one-on-one with some of the guys on the team, get to know them a little bit better beyond, obviously, just the broadcast. And plus, I mean, you can add an element that most people around the team cannot in that you're a former player, a former successful player. I, I don't imagine early on you've had the opportunity to get to know Robert Williams at all since he's gotten here, but as we know, it was kind of a turbulent start to his Celtics career, to say the least. What are you most looking forward to when it comes time that you do go out just one-on-one, the two of you? I mean, what's that conversation like in terms of trying to get his head on straight? I, you know, I really don't know. I normally, one one thing to happen with me over the years, uh, the Celtics have had a collection of players that go, that I'll go out to dinner with and we'll have a, um, we'll have maybe have a Putnam investment group or, you know, some clients out. So I get a, a chance to kind of, you know, dissect them in a small individual way, but not to the point where it is a it's just one-on-one conversation. Okay, I've had that when it came to Jalen, though, one-on-one. I've, I've had that with um, uh, Tatum and those kind of guys. You know, you get a chance to see them. As the year goes on, eventually you'll, you'll see a guy, you're able to talk to him, but I, I am one of those people that's more hands-off. If they want to ask me a question about something, then I'd be the first one to say it. Last year, one of the most surprising things that happened to me last year was, you know, I, I'd done, I had done an event early in the year with Jason Tatum, um, home court makeover that the Celtics normally do. Mm-hmm. So I just got a chance to speak to him a little bit. And then I just, you know, just gradually, you know, spoke to him and would see him. One day uh, he comes out uh, during practice uh, before the game and he's warm up. He, he just all of a sudden, Face lights up. He says, "Cornbread, cornbread." I'm like, <laughs> "What are you talking about?" He goes, "Man, I saw you on Thirty for Thirty, man, on ESPN. Oh my God, man, you were oh, you were incredible." Da da da. And it was just so <laughs> funny, but it's almost like you know, it was like, man, you actually were a basketball player. Just another tall guy walking around. So that was that was really fascinating. That was, I think, last year of of the highlights that I had with a new player. That might have been one of the best I've had. Looking around the rest of the league, as you know, we talked about the Celtics and what a great offseason they had just to basically run it back, which I think is a good thing. They shouldn't be criticized for that, not going out and making the big move, the splash for Kawhi or something like that. But Kawhi Leonard, he did go to Toronto. That's a big move in the East. Of course, LeBron goes to the Lakers. That's a big move in the West. That's Assessing... a big move in the East, too. Well, yeah. It's a, you know what? You're right about that. It's, it's, it's a bigger move in the East than it is in the West, quite frankly. They're having the biggest party right now in Toronto. You have one half. Not because Kawhi Leonard is there, but because LeBron James, their nemesis, is now left left and <laughs> gone elsewhere. So I, I think that those were huge moves. Uh, you know, I've heard people say that about the Celtics fans. Well, did, do you think it was okay for them to stay pat? I'm like, why wouldn't it be? Hmm. Here's a team that was a game away, minutes away, from going to the finals without arguably 
two of their best players. Uh, you know, when you don't have uh, um, you don't have Hayward playing, you don't have Kyrie Irving playing, you miss Daniel Tice. All these guys who were injured last year, who were productive or supposed to be productive for your team, didn't play. And you add the youth and the enthusiasm and the experience of a Jason Tatum and a Jalen Brown and a Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens, this is going to be the toughest year to me because of the allotment of minutes he's going to have to uh, delegate out. Let's go right there because I've been thinking a lot about this really kind of since the preseason schedule came out. You know, another exhilarating four gamer with the two apiece against the Hornets and Cavs. At least you'll get, you know, some time back at home, which is good. But we know that Brad is going to manage health and minutes this year. He has to. And maybe, mm-hmm. to your point, to the extreme, to best ensure that everybody is healthy this spring as much as you can control that. But how do you expect? We can go player by player here, real quick. How do you expect the minutes to break down on this team in this sort of fantasy land that guys are healthy? And I'll tell you, even before you start to answer, that Kyrie and Al, they were about 32 per last year. Tatum was mm-hmm. 31. Brown as well. Smart was 30. Everyone else kind of trickled down from there, of course. But, you know, you have five guys that were at that 30 to 32 range mm-hmm. and now you mm-hmm. got to make room for Gordon Hayward as well yeah that's going to be a key another one is a, a guy who played really well for you at the end of the year was Morris mm-hmm. uh, and Rozier you know, he, yeah both these guys played extremely well so you know they were prime time guys how do you cut their minutes down and how do you give them their minutes because one of the keys to it is going to be keeping people happy because you know, Mars is going to be a free agent. And Rozier is coming up to be a free agent. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what players do, they equate touches and points with, you know, the money that they're going to make. And, and rightfully so. That does happen. But uh, this is really a unique situation. And you know Kyrie's going to get his minutes. You're trying to get Gordon Haywood back into the lineup uh, because he's, he's going to be a prime player for you. Last year, there was a point last year during preseason, I was having to see Brad Stevens on the elevator coming someplace and um, out of the hotel. And he said, Max, I have decided right now what I'm going to do late in game situations. Hmm. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to use Kyrie Irving and Gordon Haywood in pick and rolls. Hey, how'd that work out for you? <laughs> you, 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 didn't, you didn't even get to use them in one game. Yeah. I mean, you use them for five minutes. So Brad is going to – Brad probably right now must be the, the maddest scientist out there trying to figure out formulas or ways to use it. Knowing that both Kyrie and Gordon have undergone multiple surgeries since they last played, which is kind of incredible to think about, Mm -hmm. that fact, especially the first half of this season, provided they begin on time and everybody's healthy as they should be, as they project to be, how many minutes do you think they play? Does Brad, given what they're coming off of, intentionally keep them between like 25 and 30 before kind of ramping it up in in the second half? How do you think it looks? Yeah, I think so. I think definitely you think about Gordon Haywood coming back a little bit slower, coming off of that leg. And, it's, and you know, he's going to have to convince himself that he's back to where he was. Uh, because physically you can be back there, but psychologically you can be held back because you, don't, you just don't believe yet. So he's going to take some bumps and bruises and bangs to get him there. Uh, Kyrie Irving, the thing that everybody talks about his surgery, well, the one thing they did say, and I keep hearing over and over again, that Kyrie Irving had the surgery 
but it wasn't anything that was invasive. Mm. It was not so far, and when I say invasive, anytime you're going to knee, yeah, it's invasive, but there was no structural damage in the knee. And what they did, they replaced a, uh, a screw, and there was an infection in the knee, so they cleaned that out. So there wasn't anything that was broken. There weren't any ligaments which were torn. So it will be a lot easier to have him back, but I still think that Brad is going to try to limit his minutes and keep it around about 32. One way, obviously, Max, to keep guys' averages up in terms of minutes, guys like Morris and Rozier and, and even Brown and Tatum to that degree as well, resting guys, you know, guys that sit out full games, other guys play more. It's just, you know, looking back, we haven't really seen this team have the kind of talent since the new Big Three era with Paul, Kevin, and Ray when they were here where this team's been in a position to have those designated rest days for guys. How often do you think we're going to see games go by where Brad's thinking, you know what, Gordon, you're feeling fine, Kyle. Real, whatever you guys are, you're okay. Sure, you could play, but we're just—it's a back-to-back, or we're playing three mm-hmm. and four. You're not going to mm-hmm. play. How often are we going to see that? I, I think you'll see it more than often because of the number of players he has to go to. I mean, if, if you don't, well, you can say Kyrie Irving, you, we're going to rest you tonight, and we have Terry Rozier starting at the point guard. I mean, that hmm. is, uh, that's one of the things you go, oh, my God, that is a great thing to happen. So I think that you, you, you minimize, you, 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 well, I think to me, I think you maximize their ability to play the game when you rest them and they're fully healthy down the stretch. We'll get back to Max in just a sec. I want to tell you today's episode of Celtic Speed is brought to you by Hims. Hims is a brand new wellness plan for men. Guys, how many of you are scared of hair loss? I'd guess a lot of you, considering 66% of men lose their hair by age 35. Stop procrastinating. Stop turning to weird hair loss solutions. Hims is your one-stop shop for hair loss, skin care, and sexual wellness for men. And the best part about Hims is they connect you with real doctors to treat your hair loss with actual medical-grade solutions. We're not talking about concoctions you make at home. We're talking about prescription solutions backed by science. Just go to 4 right now. Sign up is easy. Answer a few quick questions and a doctor will be assigned to you. Products are shipped directly to your door. You don't have to wait in line for hours. Let Hims come to you. And my listeners get a special trial month of Hims for $5 while supplies last. See website for full details. This costs you hundreds of dollars if you went to a local pharmacy. But use my promo code CELTICS or go to 4 slash Celtics. That's 4 slash Celtics. How much do you think we'll see Robert Williams play as a rookie, or do you think he's going to spend a, a good chunk of the year in Maine? I have not seen him play enough to even judge him. <laughs> Nobody now, has. What What was it, five yeah. minutes in, in uh, summer league, and that's it? Yeah. All you can judge on him is, is some highlight films you've seen of him. The fact that he's only shot 44% from the free throw line would be, would be a problem, would be problematic. Um, so I think that he's going to have to grow into his role. And who are the other guys you're going to bring back? I mean, that, that is the, the guys who are on the bench. Some guys, you, you let them go. Shane Larkin, to me, was, was huge. I wish he was back because he was a game changer. He changed gears for you. But you could not keep everybody. And, and that's the unfortunate thing right now with the Boston Celtics. Over the next couple of years, what are you going to do? Is Tatum going to be a priority? Is Brown going to be a priority? You know, how do you, how do you divvy up the dollars at the very end of the day, too? That's going to be really key. 
There was a really interesting question somebody posed on uh, Twitter recently, created a lot of response, some debate, and this was it. Who is the best player, if everyone's healthy, the best player on the Celtics? Now I'm going to tell you before you answer, my response, and it got a lot of flack, but I stand by it, and we can discuss it because I love debating with you if you disagree. I said Gordon Hayward. I'm curious what you think. Mm, no, I, the best player on the team right now is still Kyrie Irving. Um, he is he is so unique and so special in what he's, he's done. I can look back over the history of the Boston Celtics, and, and, and even with the small sample size, Kyrie Irving, to me, is the best point guard the Celtics may have ever had when it comes to scoring and being a facilitator. And I played with Nate Archibald, who was there, was a great player. Maybe, you know, years after. But you give me that one player that you think about that played that position with the Boston Celtics like that, I, I don't even know what it is. You can go back to the great Bob Cousy. Bob Cousy wasn't the scorer that Kyrie Irving was a passer, facilitator. But Kyrie Irving is special. I don't disagree with any of that. Irving obviously is, when it comes to the offensive side of the game, to, to quote his song, he's ridiculous out there. His his handle is as good as we've seen, I think, in NBA history, let alone just the Celtics organization. The, yeah. the, the way he is with the Rockets, incredible. The reason, though, I went with Gordon Hayward is because, to me, it's hard. You know, there's a recency bias element where people kind of get lost and ignore what he's capable of, forget what he's capable of, just because we didn't see him last year. But you mm-hmm. go back to his last year in Utah and the, what, 20? 27 points per game or something like that in the playoffs. I think 22-23 mm-hmm. in the regular season. Guy only takes about 16 shots per game. He's incredibly efficient. But what puts him over the edge for me, or at least on that same stratosphere with Kyrie, is that when it comes to being a defender, a two-way player, Hayward mm-hmm. is a better two-way player than Irving mm-hmm. is. He's a better two-way yeah. player than Al is because he's better offensively, even if you want to give Al an edge defensively. Mm-hmm. And what Kyrie, Kyrie's not a bad defender, but he's not you know nearly at that level that you look at him and say he is an excellent two-way player. So that's why I go with Gordon Hayward. I don't know. How, how close do you think it, you know, it is? Well, you're not, you're not, your, your argument, the basis of your argument is really good. And that's the same thing I've always said, and this will create even more, you know, further for, farther for you, in the fact that I've always said that Kevin Garnett was the best all-around player the Celtics have ever had. And people went, oh, my God, you're hmm. crazy. And, and I go based that on the same thing that you said. I said that he was he was a better defensive player than Larry. Mm-hmm. Not as good offensively. A better offensive player than Bill Russell, but not as good defensively. Sure. But you can say Kevin Garnett was no slouch on either one of those things. He's one of the, the top players to ever play the game. So that's why I've always said that. In going back to your argument with Gordon Hayward, I think I'm not sure if he's the best player, but I think that he can be probably one of the most important players sure. for the Celtics this year in the fact that he is going to change things. And I remember a play that Gordon Hayward made, it was a couple of years ago when he was playing with Utah, and it was in Boston, and I literally stood up. He hmm. made these, he made a great chase down block. And then somebody else tried to come in and dunk the basketball on him, and he blocked that one. And at six, seven, six, yeah, I'm about six, seven, I would give him. That was so impressive in shooting the jump shot. But he is going to define what you do because he's going to change the basic elements of your team by stretching the floor out and bringing in a bigger defender against 
say a LeBron James. So there, there are some, there's some. I think your points are valid, um, but again, I still believe that Kyrie Irving is the best player right now that you have. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, Gordon's not nearly as mesmerizing offensively as Kyrie, and he's he's not as marketable in in a lot of different ways as well. And so it, you know, he marketable. The, he got thirty million dollars. Well. But being being you know get, getting a contract has nothing to do with being marketable. I mean, how marketable is Al Horford? He got a max contract too. So you know we we know that like Gordon Hayward's got all the Fortnite and video games and all that. So in that sense, he's marketable, and he's going to get a, another shoe deal with whoever it is. But he's not you know you're not going to see him being the star of feature length films like uh, like Uncle Drew over there. But you know I I remember when you made that KG remark for the first time, and I think it was I don't know in the last year or so, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you know I was one of those people that sort of scratched my head and said, wait, what is that? But I think, you know, the more I've thought about it, and obviously listening to you here, I think the reason why you really got a lot of pushback on that remark is just the fact that we didn't really see Kevin Garnett in his prime here. If he were Paul Pierce, if he spent most of his career in a Celtics uniform in the same way Pierce did, or obviously Russell or Larry, then I think a lot of people would be in your camp. But the fact that he didn't come here until he was, what, 30? And then obviously was was here Mm -hmm. till he was crippled down by injuries we didn't yeah. get to see the full kevin garnett experience no, really no. after that first you, year yeah. and a half yeah yeah you you really didn't but i think if you look at that first year that he came here incredible Garnett was was the mvp candidate yeah he was incredible the second the second year before he got hurt the boston Celtics were on their way to winning 70 games mm-hmm. that's how good kevin garnett was because he defined what they did and the biggest thing he did, like Larry Bird, like Bill Russell, changed the culture of this team. Totally. You know, when you have Paul Pierce, Paul Pierce has been a great player all his life, but Paul Pierce became more of a, a great player when he was around Garnett, mm-hmm. Ray Allen, you know, Rondo became Ron, you know, he, he made guys, he made guys. He made Doc Rivers a better coach. Couldn't agree with that more. You know how I feel about that discussion. We've had that argument. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about what he did and and his mindset and the way he brought these guys together and they bought in, uh, I remember distinctly, you know, watching Paul Pierce, who was very bragging about things, and, and it was one of the first trips we had on the plane, and I let a little secret out. You know, they were playing this game called Boo Ray. It's, a, like, a, it's like a version of, uh, you know, spades or, or you know, poker. Mm-hmm. Or poker. And uh, Kevin Garnett at old Paul Pierce, like, you know, maybe four or $5,000, which is pennies, <laughs> which is pennies in their parlor. I know. So Paul gets on the plane. Kevin knows me. Before Kevin got on the plane, we were going to go on the trip. Paul gets on the plane. Kevin owes me five grand. Owes me five grand. Kevin Garnett gets on the plane, which looked like he came on the plane, looked like he was out the out of the uh, old west with two saddlebags <laughs> full of money. He sits down, Paul Pierce in front of him, and then starts counting out the hundreds to Paul, and tells Paul, "You just tell me when to stop." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's power. That's swag. My friend, that was a statement right there. And it went loud and clear that he was the big ticket and this was his team. And it, and, and Paul never really tried to buck the system anymore, but 
that was I, I still remember that. You just tell me when to stop counting. And Paul just mouth just just closed up. That's incredible. We could, I mean we could spend this entire show and future shows on uh, on just that era alone and stories that most people haven't heard. I'm sure I can only imagine the ones you have. But in in the spirit of statements, this was an interesting one. I want your thoughts on a couple of topics that came up in the last week or so on uh, okay. Jeff Goodman's podcast, the Good and Plenty podcast. First one relates to Isaiah Thomas. I'm going to play a cut for you and then I'll get your thoughts. So listen to this. Did a great job in Boston, but I still say, and I said it then, he was never going to get max money. If he was healthy, it didn't matter. Nobody's going to pay him max money. Would he have gotten a lot more than $2 million for a one-year deal? Sure. The hip injury combined with the questions people have on Isaiah Thomas, does he work for everybody? He needs the ball in his hands a lot. He had it in Boston. He wasn't going to get that everywhere else. Because, frankly, if he's got the ball in his hands a lot, there's other people that are upset. There's other people that are standing around. And, again, it worked in Boston. Although there were players in Boston that played on that team that did not like playing with Isaiah Thomas. Max, is it true there are guys in Boston who didn't like playing with Isaiah? That is that is a lie on top of a lie. You know, you had guys who would have gone, gone to war for Isaiah because of the way he played. Yes, does he hold the ball a lot? Was he a deficient uh, um, uh, uh on the defensive end, was he a liability from time to time? Yes, he was. But the way he galvanized this team and put this team on his shoulders for that one year, that was that was as good as it has ever gotten when I've seen one player except maybe Larry Gerberg play. When you think about the way he related to the crowd, Isaiah time, the fact that, you know, the, the players were jumping up and down. The 50-point games he had, you know, playing with his sister passed away, coming out giving those guys. It, it, was, it was one of the most emotional, uh, fulfilling times of me watching a player play for this team that just left out there on the floor. Now, was he going to get a max deal? You know, under the conditions the way the Southern were, I, I think they had to give him a lot of money. I don't know if it was going to be a max deal, but they were going to have to give him a lot of money. But, uh, you know, there was uh, – you give Danny credit. You know, as great as Isaiah was, he is he was not a Kyrie Irving. And Danny pulled the trigger, and, and, and you know, and, and the Southern's can better for it. And I am a huge Isaiah fan. But when it comes to – if you look at Isaiah and Kyrie Irving, they're on two different, completely, completely different planes. Are there guys you didn't like playing with in your career? Larry Joe Bird. Why? <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I know I stopped you in your track and like, oh. Yeah, I'm, th- I'm thinking, how, how much more time do we have here? <laughs> Give me stories. I got a breaking news story. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I had great teammates. And uh, I, was, uh, I was in the middle of everything. So there was nobody that I did not like. Uh, you know, as much as people always want to say, oh, my God, you're jealous about that. I played with Larry. I was one of the first players to play with him. When Larry won his first championship in the MVP, when he was in the NBA, I was the MVP in that series. Mm-hmm. So I had no animosity at all. Uh, my teammates were great teammates. I love now there were guys I loved a little bit more than others. Uh, you know, I love Robert Parrish. 
because we were, you know, kind of out from the same area. Larry and I didn't have anything in common other than the fact that we loved playing basketball. That was about it. We weren't talking about politics. We weren't talking about, you know, uh, finances, none of that. Larry was Larry was a one-minded person when it came to basketball. And I have, for all my life, I've had other things to do in my life. So there were no, in be it in Boston or elsewhere, there were no stars that you kind of clashed with when you were playing with them just in the, in the sense that, you know what, we just we don't mesh well together being on the same team. Maybe you're a good guy, but on the floor we don't work. No, no, I, I've never had that with any of my teammates. I've had that with the opposition. Sure. But none of my teammates. It's like, uh, you know, I talked to somebody from Comcast the other day, and, and he said, we're going to bring, you know, we're going to bring you and James Worthy together like Isaiah and, um, and Magic did. Mm-hmm. You guys can get around the house. I said, I can tell you what, you ain't going to need no napkins. <laughs> and there's going to be no tears being shed. I can tell you that. It might be a handshake. That's about as far as I can go. The animosity among, you know, mm. my, I, I saved that, all that for the opposing players, not the guys who were on my team. There's one other topic referenced on uh, Goodman's pod with Chris Mannix. He was with him, and I thought this was interesting as well. And I'm going to tell you also that Isaiah Thomas thing, it came up again, but I'll let you listen to that. But this one's more about Kyrie Irving. He's as tough a guy to read as anybody in the NBA because he's very much a lone wolf. And, look, he's well-liked in that Celtics locker room like he was well-liked in that Cavaliers locker room. But I'm not sure there are a lot of players in either locker room that really connect with him. He's not a bad teammate. You know, Isaiah Thomas, not everybody loves playing with Isaiah Thomas either, but he could connect That's with right. a lot of people uh, in that locker room. Kyrie is, is just a different cat out there. It's, look, as an unrestricted free agent, um, I think Boston's still in a front-running position because of the team they have. And that fifth year, they can throw out there on that contract, which they will be huge for a player coming off as many knee surgeries as Kyrie had. But I don't think it's a, a state of complete that, that Kyrie just says, you know, re-signs with Boston. I think there's probably going to be a recruitment period for him as well before he decides anything. So before Kyrie, just on Isaiah real quick, since both of them made that statement about guys maybe not liking playing with him, and obviously mm-hmm. you're you're around it, you're there, mm-hmm. you're on the plane, you're in the locker room, you disagree strongly, and that's great. Do you think if there was any sort of pushback or where that narrative is coming from, do you think any of it stems from just the fact that Isaiah, while underpaid for what he accomplished clearly during his time in Boston, maybe a lot of it was the king of the fourth, the pointing at the invisible watch on his wrist, the always talking about the Brinks truck toward the end? Do you think stuff like that ever rubbed teammates the wrong way? No, no, because everybody realizes that this is a job and everybody wants to get a payday. So I don't think that any of that rubbed his his teammates, you could see, you need to go back and look at video. When Isaiah was doing the watch thing, there were guys on the bench who were doing it with him. This <laughs> is Isaiah time. So I don't, I don't buy any of that. So that, where do you know, think guys, the narrative's coming from? I, I don't know because, uh, you know, I talked to Terry Rozier who, uh, you know, idolizes Isaiah. He used to say, man, I'd go to, I'd go out there and I'd work out with Isaiah during the summertime. And I learned so many things that he bought back this year that were a lot of things that he worked on with Isaiah. So I don't see Isaiah as that. Now, is, did he have like a Napoleonic complex? I think he did. Big, little, little, little guys in the NBA, yeah. Hmm. They're a little bit tougher and they're, they're tough skin. You know, their skin is a little thin. But I, I still believe as his teammates, nobody, I can't say a player out there that I looked at 
or talk to during that time did not love what Isaiah brought to his team. I don't even know who they're talking Maybe they should pick out a guy and tell me what guy it would be. Because it wasn't <laughs> Al. It wasn't Al. It wasn't Rozier. It wasn't Smart. It wasn't Jalen. None of those guys, to me, had any you know thing with Isaiah that they felt that was negative. So, no, I don't buy that. So, on Kyrie and the lone wolf stuff and Chris saying he doesn't know how well he connected with guys in Cleveland or does in Boston in that locker room. Not He's not liked or doesn't get along with people, just doesn't know well, how well he connects. Have you seen that as well? Do you see him not connecting terribly well with guys on the seas? Kyrie is a different guy, and he is a lone wolf, uh, you know, and, and his mindset and thinking is really different. Um, I asked I asked him a question this year, and I remember Sean and I were on the broadcast, and, and it was after a game. We had um, Kyrie as our, our featured player. And I said, Sean, I'm going to ask Kyrie a question that he's never had asked before. And Sean, my broadcast partner, goes, there's nothing you can ask him, nothing you ask. He had. I said, yes, I have. And I said, I said, Kyrie, Tell me what it was like the first time you beat your father playing. I remember that and interview. And literally, he went into this altered state that I wasn't, I wasn't even prepared for. Oh, my God. It was one of the most incredible things that ever happened to me. The first time I beat my father, I cried. It was like he was the best player I ever played with. And then he talked about, you know, how he wanted to, you know, his father said to him, now, Kyrie, you beat me now, so – you know what, you can beat anybody. And I've taken that mentality with me over the years. Kyrie is a, a, a different animal when it comes to that. You know, this earth is flat you know, or round or whatever it might be, this hmm. theory that supposedly Kyrie I don't believe Kyrie does that. I mean, Kyrie is so smart that sometimes he's like Kevin Garnett. They just want to screw with your head and, you know, and make you think that, of, of something else which is, it isn't even there. But you know, Kyrie is, um, and Kyrie is Kyrie. I mean, I've seen him a little bit closer to Gordon Haywood in, in talking to Gordon, a veteran player. Uh, some of the younger players, you know, they really like, you know, uh, Kyrie. But, you know, can tell that he's more of a standoffish, you know, type guy. Most of the players I've met over the years, I've always had a conversation. I always talk to him. Kyrie has been a very limited conversation I've had with him and, and knowing him for one year. But, you know, he's uh, he is more about the basketball and he's more intellectual than people might think. Obviously, Max, nobody publicly, because all this stuff is written about the Knicks or now the Nets or whomever else, you know, nobody publicly mm-hmm. has a clue what Kyrie Irving is thinking with regard to free agency next summer. But most important thing, do you believe that Danny Ainge and or Brad Stevens have an inkling of where his head is at right now? Uh, you know, that, that, that's hard to judge. I think Danny would like to know. Obviously, Brad would like to know. But what Brad does know is that Kyrie Irving, on every time he steps on the floor, he's going to be that lethal weapon. Um, what he's going to do in the future, I don't. This is the biggest thing for me. I don't even think the Celtics need to be concerned with that. If you have a great team and he's played well this year, and you have a great year, if you're able to win the championship or be close, and Kyrie Irving decides he wants to leave, God bless him. Because I think that you you just have to be you you have to be more in tune with what is going to happen this year, not what might happen next year. 
But what happens this year? And if you're in tune with that, I believe that the product that the Celtics have on the floor with Brad Stevens, with his teammates, with the organization, Kerry Irving, to me, it's going to be a no-brainer for him to come back to the Boston Celtics. So I'm a believer in all that to a certain degree. Now, I'm with you that I believe he's going to resign in Boston. But Mm -hmm. if the Celtics, let's say they just don't even have a clue, and you're getting near the trade deadline, and Danny Ainge starts to think to himself, boy, this is really 50-50 right now, and we've got a great team, we're chasing a championship, but at the same time, I can't let an asset walk out the door. Not not like that, not mm-hmm. of that caliber, mm-hmm. and get nothing back in return this summer. Mm-hmm. Does he entertain well, I, moving him? Well, I think that you look at what Greg Popovich did, you know, the asset they had in Kawhi Leonard. But, you know, obviously they had a frayed situation there. So he knew he had to move him. If you're Danny Ainge, I think, and and I've known Danny a long time, I think every option is on the table. Uh, if Danny does feel like that, there could be a possibility. Uh, but I think that at the end of the day, Danny wants to keep Kyrie Irving instead of moving him. But if there was a deal out there to be made that would make this team better, Danny Ames has always said that. He would make it for this club. Uh, you know, you go back and think about the conversation he had with Red Arback when uh, I think it was Larry and Kevin got mm-hmm. old and they could have went to Dallas for Dennis Shrimp and uh, Sam Perkins and, and a couple of draft picks. Danny said, man, why didn't you make that move? And, and Danny's always covered it and said, one thing I would never do, I would never fall that much in love with a player that I can't make a move that is going to make this team better, especially if that player is older or if I think I'm not getting anything back for, from him, for him. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. There's no question about that. Max, I'll, I'll leave you with this. This will be the last one. A friend of mine sent me this nugget. I thought it was interesting. Now, this is going to change in the coming years, too. But as things stand right now, you are the only NBA Finals MVP who is not in the Springfield Hall of Fame. How do we correct this travesty? Oh, I can go, but I just have to get a <laughs> ticket to get in. <laughs> I don't, you know what? I think that for me, that is one of the best things. When you are, you're that unique person that you can go. I can say, I was a Finals MVP, but I never made the, I never made the All Star team. I never hmm. made the, so to get into the Hall of Fame. That to me is like I, I don't even think that way. You know, I was a unique player and, and played big games and had and had some, you know, unbelievable moments. But I'm not a I'm not a Hall of Famer. Just that that's simple. I I'm not a Hall of Famer. I was a real good player. I've done great things with the team. I've had unbelievable moments, the finals MVP. But in my mind, I'm not a Hall of Famer because I think about Hall of Famers are those guys that I said, those marquee guys. You know, the, the, the greatest thing I can do right now when I think about stuff is, like, I think would be the funniest thing. If they ever have all the finals MVPs come to a room mm. and, you know, we're all walking in, I'm walking in, somebody's like, hey, hey, you, what are you doing? Where are you going at? <laughs> There's no plus ones here. What are you doing here? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't even don't even think that way. I, I And I appreciate the fact that people would even – have a, a thought bubble that would be like that. I had the trainer for the Detroit Pistons, 
come to me and say the same thing. He said, I talk to my son all the time, and I've told him that you need to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, well, I will. I can go get a ticket to get in, but I, <laughs> I'm not going to be a person with a statue, and, and I just don't believe I'm a Hall of Famer. Oh, Max, I can assure you you're a Hall of Fame interview, my friend. I, I hear you all the time, and I still don't hear you enough. I really appreciate you coming on. All right. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you later. The one, the only Cedric Maxwell. He is just always a great listen. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Remember, subscribe to Celtics Beat on iTunes. You can leave us a rating. Five stars are appreciated. A comment. Always love your feedback. Don't hesitate. Remember, the show comes out every single Sunday throughout the offseason, so we've got plenty more coming up before the season rolls around. Episode 274 featuring Celtics radio analyst Cedric Maxwell brought to you by Hymns. My listeners get a special trial month of Hymns for just $5 by going to 4 slash Celtics. Again, thanks to the crew at CLNS. Thanks to you for listening. And, uh, hey, preseason right around the corner. It's next month. Gino, play us out.